0: You know, I can't say it more often, you need to listen to your customers. If you want to position your product successfully, then, you know, you need to listen to your customers and the best time to do so is during the discovery phase of the product development. And if you don't have a discovery phase, you need to get a discovery phase of your product development cycle. Those are so important because, you know, if you want your company to be successful, but you're not researching your market or your customers in early stages when you're building your product, you're most likely not going to achieve what you're wanting to do uh, when you try to take the product to market.
1: Welcome to the podcast B2B Saw CEOs with me, Joseph Allison, as your host. I'm the CEO and founder of VAM that helps sales teams book more meetings. The idea to this podcast was born because one of my personal goals is to be a world-class B2B Saw CEO and therefore I need to learn from the best and I want to take you with me on this journey.
0: Hi, my name is Sofia Alexis, I'm CEO at Kondo, and you are listening to B2B Sauce CEOs.
1: Hi and welcome, Sofia!
0: Thank you, so glad to be here.
1: How are you today?
0: I'm very happy, we have our Christmas party coming up uh, this evening, so I'm excited for that. And you know, snow is outside, so very Christmassy feeling right now.
1: Oh, perfect. And let's kick this off then. First thing first, who is Sofia? Please help me get the context of how you look at yourself.
0: That's a broad question, but I, I normally say that I'm a very curious and innovative CEO. My focus areas is always growth, talent development and diversity. I personally come from a background within like global industry tech, and then after that I joined two Swedish tech startups before Kundo. One included a journey with like a 10x hyper growth in a Swedish fintech, which was amazing and that I learned, you know, growth at hyper speed. But you know, I always say that my heart is and will always be within tech. I am a true believer that tech has the power to change worlds and our everyday lives. So, But other than that, I am born and raised Globetrotter. I have had the great opportunity to call both Sweden, UK, France, and the US, both Silicon Valley and Boston, as my home. And other than that, I think first and foremost, I'm a dedicated mom and I have a passion for interior design. Uh, You can ask my colleagues, they'll tell you just yesterday I got a blockade delivery uh, of amazing red glasses for Christmas from the 50s in the middle of our leadership team meeting, so... I think that sums it
1: up. <laughs> Since you brought it up with interior design, I, I, I have an, a natural angle now to just comment that I really loved your backdrop. The oh, people who yeah. will see the, the teaser and we are recording this also. So maybe in the future, I will upload it in Spotify, video and YouTube, said, But I really like, oh, good, great setup behind you. So, so then th- then it because makes- Got my artwork here on the wall. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and also I need to comment the tech angle and ask why. Why do you like why has tech for so long being so big part of your journey?
0: When I joined Ericsson, I really joined. I had this like nearly a philanthropic thing because Ericsson was very much then into like this connected villages and that you know being connected can actually save lives and in rural areas it can really be a game changer from like one month to the other to be able to use connectivity to call ahead to see what's on the market, etc. So I think that that was something that I joined because I think that you know connections and tech really do you know have the power. change and I mean in sauce we're very much around value added services towards companies that are already, you know, well positioned maybe in the market. But I think that it's very interesting. Tech can solve so many things, and it's very interesting at in different angles and different companies and everything. That it's it's just so interesting. But I also love product, and I've spent six and a half years within different roles in product departments as well. So I've always worked very product close. So I think that that's also part of part of part of my tech background. But it's it's really it's more of a, a feeling. And me and my husband also have two small companies where we're doing like micro investments in small tech switch companies because. We believe in the swedish tech industry and we think it's it's really cool in the development that we see so
1: nice shout out to you who's right now fundraising small amounts in the early stage ping here but okay (laughs) Uh, product, sofia your product let's do the elevator pitch what does your company kundo do
0: kundo is a swedish sauce company obviously Uh, we develop and sell cloud-based services Uh, we say that we do that for smart accessible and effective customer service so we're a platform for customer service solutions. We were founded 2010. Our mission is to deliver solutions that we say simplify and elevate the customer experience at every touch point. And we really help companies to make customer service effortless. And we have omnichannel for ticketing. We have AI-driven solutions. And we do have self-service excellence. So that really is Kundo in a nutshell.
1: And now it's time for, yeah, favorite segment, I would call it. A lot of people love this segment and it's five quick ones. And here you need to be quick. I will throw up a word or sentence and you need to shoot away the first sentence you think of when you hear that. Do you understand?
0: I get get it.
1: Okay, here we go. Customer service.
0: Customer value.
1: AI, threat or opportunities.
0: Opportunity.
1: Your biggest role model. Something that's keeping you awake during the night.
0: Oh, I sleep like a baby.
1: <laughs> Perfect answer. <laughs> and the last thing, your happy place.
0: My home with my family.
1: Okay, we have uh, really quick answers here and let's dive in to... Um, yeah, uh, AI, well, it's like with Googles now, Germany, etc. It's so top of mind. I see it everywhere on LinkedIn now again and not just open AI. Uh, so you said opportunities and not threat. I, I actually thought when I thought of this question, you would maybe say both because that is quite a political answer to life. <laughs> but you said opportunities. Please elaborate here.
0: I mean, within customer service, AI is like the, the use case for AI is perfect for customer service. It's about looking through a lot of information and finding answers and answering quickly. So, I mean, the use case is absolutely 100% applicable to what we're doing and to our product. So for us, it's a major opportunity to just make, you know, our customers more efficient And by making them more efficient, even the agent, you know, answering your call or answering your email becomes much more efficient with, you know, smart suggestions, smart email answers, you know, going from having to searching knowledge business to getting that search instantaneously. So I think that for us, it's a major opportunity and it's an opportunity for us to take, you know. Our products, but also, I mean, the you know customer service solution market will just you know make a jump with this. So I think that that's that's why I can only see opportunity for us right now.
1: Yeah, with that explanation and the glasses, I, I understand then why you shows opportunities. <laughs> and we move on. We move on to mistakes. And now I want to hear one or a few. You choose uh, the worst mistakes you have ever made connected to business then? not.
0: One thing that I can remember and one thing that I like draw a lot of learnings from, which I guess is a good goodwill of characteristic and mistake, but very early career and now I have to go back like to my you know the beginning of my career so I was part of one of the largest industry tech giants that we have and I was a very young strategic sourcing manager I had a mission to drive cost saving I also had like a passion for online auctions which I was like a I read game theory and I was very into everything and how you could you know work with the auctions to get prices down and together with you know, my team, we were, you know, part of pushing kind of the R and D consultancy prices in Sweden and in India down to what well, became unsustainable levels Mm -hmm. and it really escalated like we pushed the prices to levels where you know companies couldn't you know survive on that and in the end you know they had to withdraw they had to break their contracts they realized that losing that much money wouldn't be worth it even though you know we were large industry name so i think what i took with me from that really is that you know, from quoting Spider Man and showing that I love like action and <laughs> cartoons, it's like with great power comes great responsibility, and you need to think sustainable in business. You know, you cannot gain on behalf of someone else. And you know what we talked and the learnings and the perspectives we had afterwards is that you know a win-win is always a win, and it has to be sustainable. So when we negotiate, we need to do it in a sustainable, but with. So I think that you know then it was a big thing and a lot of companies suffered uh, momentarily and we realized that we could you know push an entire business you know down down the rabbit hole and that wasn't that wasn't our intention from the beginning so i think that that was a big mistake that we did and we learned from it a lot as well
1: good lesson and uh, yeah i have i have so many stories within this also that i with my small family company, been through with uh, bigger giants, but the the listeners don't want to listen to that. You're here. Great input. Thank you for sharing. And we move on to, it's actually time for the external segment. The people who have listened to several of my episodes here know that I always want to lend my voice to one or two people from the community, not just being me shooting questions towards you. So now it's time from Amalia Barilov at Empire Digital. And this is her question. Hi, Sofia. How do you reason about distributing leadership and first and foremost organizing the organization to scale both leadership and ownership of the products? I think...
0: This is the question of choice for me and my friends in similar industries right now. We love debating the leadership structure around products and who should own what. And I think that for me, when we talk about distributing leadership, it really involves empowering all the different individuals at various levels, obviously. But when you operate in a small business, I think it's vital that you know product ownership is something that is shared between the product organization and the commercial organization. There's always some debate on who should really own the commercialization of the product and who truly has the ability to, you know, position, package, price, differentiate the product in the go-to-market process.
1: Can can I just pause you here? Uh, You said a small organization. What is a small in your
0: uh, it's, it's a very good. It's a very good question. I keep going smaller now. I, every time I do, change jobs, So soon I'll, I'll start my own. <laughs> start my own company. It's going to zero, but I think that small for me is anything around, like under 150 people.
1: From my point of view, that that is big. But okay, <laughs> okay. So if if you if we do let that is if we are below 150, that's a small, small to medium.
0: Then small to medium. Size. Okay.
1: Okay. Okay. Good. okay.
0: Okay. 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 I, Uh, But I mean, even more applicable if you're 50 or 25 or even lower than that. And that's what I meant. Like, if you, like... If you're that few people, you really need to understand, like, who takes which leadership and when do you do it? And it's also a little bit, it also comes from, you know, are you a product-led company? Are, you know, are your founders, developers who have founded a company? Or are you more of a commercial-led company where, you know, the founders have the commercial background and that you know, hired uh, product? So I think that also makes it, is, mixes this up a bit. But I mean, for me, I personally believe that you need to find a seasoned product head that can spearhead initial phases of the commercialization and kind of orchestrate your go-to-market. And however, you know, this truly requires a very skilled and commercial-driven product head. And this is what we always debate with me and my friends, that in many organizations, you know, you see that. When you share the responsibility between the commercial organization and the product organization, there's a lot of frustration between the teams regarding ownership. So I think that you need to be very clear on accountability, you need to have clear visions, delegate responsibility, all of those things. But it's easier said than done, and you really need the right people in place to kind of spearhead. but I, I would really say that you want you know you want your product and commercial teams in early stages of the product development. But, you know, work with feedback loops, work with collaborations between the different interests, but really have someone who spearheads uh, the ownership around the product.
1: Good. Amalia, thank you so much for the question. And it's time for a topic of your choice, Sofia. The only rule here is that you need to talk about something that you are very nerdy about and feel passion for. So the floor is yours.
0: I had a perfect opening question there because I came in directly to go to market because it is one of my like passion areas. And I just had a go to market session with a startup company in fintech with really great potential. And it really spiked my interest for, you know, what is really one of my favorite topics. And I say that, you know, I discuss this with my friends numerous occasions and we just love to like Look at different angles and see how you know product and commercial teams can work together and you know solve company changes challenges that we have so I think go to market is the essence of the success of any company, but in honesty, rarely done right and I've seen a variance during my career that one you know great example I had was, you know, pro- our product department, uh, and this is in a prior company that I was with, and they developed something without even, you know, aligning with anyone in the commercial organization and, and presented that, you know, like a trophy when it was done. And the only thing that happened was that it was completely shut down by the commercial organization as it was non-sellable. And they had just, you know, spent months of doing this and i've also seen other you know angles where products are being kind of ordered from the commercial organisation promise of full-scale customer base adaptation, it will result in, you know, and it results just in month again of working. And then in the end, it's only one customer that activates it. So I think that this is, you know, this is our classic pitfalls that you would have. Like either you have a product department that works very much in silo and they will have a very low, you know, touch points on the actual commercialization or you have a very strong commercial organization that dictates the rules. And none of that is, you know, not that's not a good you know, good, good baseline. So I normally ask myself, like, why? Or, you know, when we talk between my my friends, it's like, why is this? And for me, it comes down to early involvement, the collaboration between the product and the commercial teams. I've been both in product teams and I've been in commercial teams. And I think that I sometimes say that that's one of my superpowers that I understand, you know, from a product being developed all the way to it comes to, you know, sits at in in you know at the customer and already in roadmap creation you need to think about the commercialization of the product you need to start thinking about how you'll take it to market you know who's the target audience what are the unique value propositions what channels should it be sold in? and this feels like very early stages to ask these questions but you should have at least a vision of where you're going with the product and i mean i also love go-to-market strategies it kind of encompasses one of my favorite topic which is Listen to your customers. And I, I keep saying this, and where whatever context I'm in, but really, you know, I can't say it more often. You need to listen to your customers. If you want to position your product successfully, then you know you need to listen to your customers, and the best time to do so is during the discovery phase of the product development. And if you don't have a discovery phase, you need to get a discovery phase of your product development cycle. So I think that those are, you know, those are so important because, you know, if you want your company to be successful, but you're not researching your market or your customers in early stages, when you're building your product, you're most likely, you know, not going to achieve what you're wanting to do uh, when you try to uh, take the product to market. And then again, coming back to small organizations, but smaller organizations, then, you know, we are a fairly small organization today, and we have invested in, you know, a full-time service designer. And her job is to constantly have her ear towards the ground. She interviews companies, she interviews our customer base, she looks at what's happening in the market, and all of this just to develop insights. And it's really, you know, extremely valuable for us, both now that we're sitting and looking at, like, the product roadmap for next year. What should you, you know, what are the key things that we should do? We always have more product areas than we have product members or product teams. So we always need to do that tight prioritization. And then, you know, that customer feedback is, you know, vital for us, I would say. So I think that that's, but another interesting market phenomenon that we're all witnessing right now, if we come back to the AI question, is the mass launch of AI, And I think the milestones of AI generated products in the market is a really interesting way of looking at how have different companies decided to go to market with AI. And you know, many products are today charging for their AI products separately, you know, and I think that's fully understandable. You want instant return on investments on the product hours that you just spent, but however, it will kind of only lead to that a subset of your customers has access to what you're now marketing as like the true differentiator of your offering. And will that be a good long-term strategy? I would say hardly. And AI is now in its first phase and companies are using it to enhance what they're really offering. So they're not, so they're, you know, right now we're just applying AI to our existing products. And if you go to market selling that as an add-on, Then the question, you know, and this was the question that I faced when I came into Kundo. So I came into Kundo, May this year, and it was mid-development of our first AI product or our first AI launch. And it was soon to be launched. There was absolutely no go-to-market strategy in place. And, you know, sales, of course, had already started selling it. (laughs) And I was asked to to say, what price should be at? And I, you know, I had some super frustrating (laughs) internal conversations and I realized that, you know, I'm not going to sell this as an add-on. I'm just going to incorporate it into our total offering and making it available to our full customer base instead. And by doing that, increasing the entire value of the product. And so, I mean, and for us, that's been a very successful strategy. You know, we've had a lot of our existing biz, you know, selling other part of our product offering that, you know, makes a lot of sense with our functionality. And we've seen enormous, you know, attractiveness in sales as well. So for me, I think that was the go-to-market strategy for us. But it's interesting to to start, look at how people are marketing this, because this is an interesting lesson that we have in go-to-market right now in front of our eyes.
1: (laughs) I, I really love the the like deep type here at the end with the uh, uh, AI part. And in my mind, I'm framing it something like now, super dumb frame maybe. Don't, don't lock in your AI upgradation behind a paywall. Uh, i just throwing it out there. Maybe I will yeah. come up with a good, but I really love that uh, framing. So thank you for this. And also I just want to touch base one more super simple simplification if you can uh, share because I've heard you, I've heard you on Break It, Saw awesome, Summit, and you, you are always saying in so many different contexts, listen to the customer, talk with the customer, etc. If you should give the listeners now a super simple thing, just one thing to take with them in that context, what question, what opening question do you love to like get the talk going in this context?
0: I've got this question before and I would say that this was one of the biggest learnings that I had when I came in at uh, Kundo as well and working actually with a very, you know, skilled and service designer, She said, you're not allowed to ask any questions. You have to just let the customer talk. <laughs> <laughs> like what?
1: Not even a first question.
0: Not even a first question. It's more like, hi, hello, you know, great to see you. Let's discuss this topic and it's going to wait the customer out because that's the best way of, because as soon as you ask a question, you set a direction for that conversation. Yeah. And obviously, you know, you set the tone for what you want to get out of the meeting, but then you're going to miss out on all the nuances or whatever, you know, that customer wants to, you know, bring to the table and what they prepare in their head. So I think the beauty of it is if you can wait your customers out and really you know come in with your listener hat and you know you see that they're abusing the system right you see <laughs> that they're like not using the features the way they're supposed to be they're not at all in the use case and you know yeah. they have so much potential you Always. have to be quiet you have to sit there and like hmm Interesting choice of, you know, using that feature. Tell me more or why you decided to do that. So I think that that's, you know, the open-endedness of it. Keep it as open-ended as possible and just let the customer talk. Uh, And that's when you're going to learn.
1: Yeah, this was uh, great. So not even one first question. I I am allowed and the listeners are allowed to introduce myself and say, (laughs) we are here because of this topic. Sip it, okay. Yeah, good.
0: exactly. That's it.
1: <laughs> good. Okay. Good. Uh, there we have a great nugget. Also, uh, thank you so much for uh, your topic of choice, go to market. And um, when I listened to you uh, the last time live, uh, you talked a lot about the importance of building a strong brand as a sauce company. Mm-hmm. Quite. Uh, Straight shooting that many sauce companies have very boring brands, <laughs> simplified say. <laughs> and why is why is that critical with building a strong brand uh, as a sauce company? And where do you start?
0: Good questions. I mean, I would say that as we all kind of look the same, it's an excellent opportunity to stand out just by doing something, you know, a little bit different, and you know, doing it more close to heart. And I think that. You know, you could question because, you know, these companies have different founders. They have different, you know, different owners and different ways of being. And, you know, some might be very performance driven. Others are very chill, but we all look the same. That doesn't match for me. So you need to kind of like also think about, like, what is our true identity and personality in the company and try to like have that shine through both through your brand overall, but also your graphical profile, obviously. But I, it's just, it's a very competitive landscape, and many of us now are not only competing to our direct com- competitors, but we are kind of competing to, for a place in the customer's total IT budget. So all of a sudden, you know, companies are head to head with you know the other other type of solutions that they have. And I think that if you have a very strong foundational brand, you can lean on that in this type of you know little tougher landscapes that we're seeing. We're seeing you know increased churn and. Others. If you have a strong brand, you can lean on that and you can also kind of, you know, stand straight when price pressure is rising and, you know, you can kind of defend your pricing much, much more solid. Otherwise, it's very easy to, you know, become scared and not really knowing and start lowering prices, which is going to be very tough, you know, tough, tough to go back, come back from after, after this time. So I think it's, you know, it's all about building confidence in who you are. And I mean, if you think about your personal brand you know, if you look at yourself as a teenager versus, you know, yourself as a, you know, 40 something, you know, I've built my personal brand. I'm very confident in who I am today. And, you know, with that, I, you know, people, you know, listen to what I say and, you know, you have a lot of like authenticity. And I think that's what it comes down to. So like be authentic and like really find out like what's my DNA and, you know, how do I want to make that come through? And that will build confidence with everyone in the company as well. And I think that's, I think that's why it's so important. So two factors, just being able to, you know, stand still and be confident during tough times, but also, you know, have a company that really oozes, you know, who you are both inside and outside. So.
1: And when you say who you are, do, do you mean who you as the founder, the owner or the leaders in, in the core are?
0: Amazing question, right? So I would say that that depends on where you are in your journey, right? So for us, when I was uh, with Erin, which I was before this, we did a similar brand journey where we uh, put our brand down. And there it was all about, you know, just taking the atmosphere that was already in the company, but putting it onto paper. So like, you know, having something to lean back on. Now at Kundo, we have had a d- different challenge because it's not only about taking what we're already, you know, what we are today, but it's also an ambition of who we want to become. So you have to mix that. So you have to see a little bit where you are in your journey. Is it, you know, do I only want to reflect where we are today or do I want to reflect like a future state or future vision? So I think that that's it. But that was, I, I think this was the mo- most fun journey of like really establishing a brand.
1: Nice. And... Now we have arrived to one of my favorite topics, outreach. I am building, and now it's public also out there, we have Pivoted VAM, an outreach tool. So I love to talk about outreach. <laughs> what's your preferred way, Sofia, of being contacted in a modern buyer's journey for B2B? Basically, what's the best way to do outreach to you? Or what is an outreach you still remember a few weeks month, years ago.
0: But I mean, today, the, the funniest thing is I, I really, I, I just got an outreach via like regular email and that stood out for me, but that's not my preferred way. And it was just sort of like, oh, wait, I got like, I got a letter. <laughs> what is this now? Then I like, the, the, I felt like this is probably not going to be for me. I'm a digital person. I think that I get contacted a lot. Email is not the best. I would have to say, in, in in modern world, I still think that platforms like LinkedIn are really good. I, you know, that's where I collect all my kind of business, business related topics, and it feels like a natural place uh, to be contacted and to contact. To be honest, so I, I would, I would so it's probably a boring answer, but it is a good, it's an out good outreach methodology, and you know. Because my inbox is already a chaos country, so it just just irritates me that there's a lot of average emails in there. I need to like see the customer emails that I miss sometimes because they're in in the midst of that. So I I would say that. That that would be my preferred. I think the digital channels that we have today are, are the best. And I prefer to you know, take the information first and then, you know, initiate contact rather than, you know, on the phone or you're in the middle of something. I only answer because I think it's my daycare, right? That's the only time I answer a number that I don't know what it is. And it's always a salesperson. It's like, yeah. (laughs) 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 So I I would say, I would say, you know, digital digital channels for, for sure.
1: And is an aspect that you like LinkedIn is that you then if you see the message and then it's the first thing you do like look the person up, just with one click, check the profile and you get good context.
0: Yeah, you get the context. It's very quick to look. Like, is this legit? Is it not legit? You know, and then, you know, you get that confirmation in seconds. So I think that that's uh, the legit, like to really understand that it's a legit contact is, is important. And if you're already on that platform, you're already on the platform where you would check that out. So it makes it easier. Yeah.
1: And do you, after checking the person up, do you answer the outreach uh, or w- would you go to their web page and like die down? Uh, dive deeper a bit before you say, no, thank you, yes, thank you?
0: Well, it depends. I mean outreach is all about timing isn't it so if if someone reaches out to me and they're like "Mm, are you thinking about outsourcing and i'm like no i'm really not thinking about outsourcing so you know goodbye or you know "Mm, are you thinking about recruiting tech consultants like yes i am thinking about recruiting tech consultants so i think that that's a timing question so if if the outreach times with the need that i have yeah i would go to the web page also but I most likely will check up the company first on LinkedIn as well, to be honest, because yeah. it's a very short summary of what they do. Yeah, uh, good. Yeah. Everyone <laughs> out there, your web is need to be attractive. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. I click, swipe left.
1: <laughs> and this means that we are entering the roundup. We only have a few questions left. Time flies when we have fun. And yeah. first thing here, is there anything you Think I have missed asking you this time that you think can be of value to the listeners. Well,
0: I, I would want to build on what we just talked about, like the importance of being, the importance of you know marketing yourself or you know your brand and identity. I think one of the things that I would just add to that is that you know in conversations you start positioning your product, but if you're a scale up, many scale ups. Forget because they're product led, right? Or they're, you know, they grow with the product, they're the the founders or something. So you build a product first and then you try to position the product in the market, but you forget to position the company. And I think that's extremely important in that. So I would just add to that, like you have to think about who you are, because as a buyer, I do not just buy the product. I buy the product, I buy the person I talk to, but I also buy the you know the company they work for. So I think that's extremely important. If you missed, you know, how that company is relevant and try to just position the product, it's gonna be very, very hard for me as a buyer to to understand, you know, the total context, what am I? So that's that's just an added add add on to that. And then you know I could I could come back and talk you know additional additional things about go to market and what you need to think about and tips and tricks as well. So <laughs> but that's a whole whole other product. Yeah. <laughs> <But> yeah.
1: <laughs> Good. Okay. The second last question. A favorite life motto. Can you share one of your favorite life mottos?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, Richard Branson is someone who I've loved since I was a young child. I even have like a picture of him at Madame Tussauds when I'm like (laughs) 20-something standing next to Richard Branson. And he he has a quote that I love, which is, if someone offers you a great opportunity and you're not sure you can do it, say yes. Then learn how to do it later. And for me, I mean, I highly admire him, but I really think that that's true because if we don't challenge ourselves, or our businesses, then we'll never develop and we'll never, you know, create amazing things and, you know, make stupid, stupid decisions and learn from them. So I think that that's, uh, I think that's a really, really good one. As you started, right, you started as a CEO, and then you didn't know what to do. And, you know, you start learning from it. So I think that's, it's a, it's a motto to live by.
1: That's the only way. You can't outthink all the problems that will come up on the, you can't, no, I don't know. it's going to be horrible. <laughs> and then the very last question. And now you're talking to your younger self, think five years, 10 years, 20 years ago. If you give yourself, when you were younger, a younger leader, the top one to three things to think of that you now know that you didn't know, what would you tell yourself?
0: We talked about one thing yesterday, which I think is extremely important doing the roadmap is that time spent in preparation will always be time gained in execution. So yes, we want to move quickly, we want to be agile, but you need to be very smart on spending your time wisely and hasting to execution is just never the answer. And there, you know, the the whole customer, listen to your customer piece comes in as well, because if you don't do that preparation work, it's just not going to be, you know, time well spent. So I think that that's, that's one of the key learnings that I have with me that I always think about. And I think that and also one another thing that i would say that builds on you know the richard branson quote is impossible is nothing right there's no challenge too hard if you you know have a mountain of challenges in front of you then you start breaking it down and you know break that problem down into smaller pieces and a smaller piece yet again and you know sooner or later you're starting to see you know that it is achievable so If you only see mountains, yes, it's going to feel like everything's impossible, but if you start breaking it down to pieces and solving one business problem at a time, it's going to be, you're going to get there. And thirdly, I think, I think reflection is the key to long-term success. I've worked with a coach uh, my entire life and he's very alternative and very mindfulness type of person. And he talks a lot about reflections and it taught me the, you know, the gift of always reflecting. And I try to learn from every situation that I'm in, and I'm, you know, also constantly seeking feedback and trying, you know, the best I can to embrace it. And it's hard sometimes to get feedback and embracing it with an open mind. But it, I mean, it's the only way to to develop and move forward. So I, I would say that those are the three that that I would take, tell my tell my younger self and.
1: Great things, and yeah, I needed to say the first one uh, quite blew my away because the, the second two I've heard in different shapes uh, so, but but I have never actually heard the phrase "time spent in preparation is always time saved in execution. like of course, like maybe I wasn't open for that sort of mindset for a few years ago when we were all like, but I would take that with me for so long now. I'm wow.
0: oh, great, I'm, I'm happy to. but it, it, it goes into everything, right? And it always feels like, oh, should we really do this? Or should we do this analysis? And it feels like, oh, we just want to get going. And it's yeah. like, yeah, but then we're going to, you know, end up with no market strategy. And like it goes well, well with go to market strategy. <laughs> yeah.
1: And with these words, we put period for this interview for this time. And now I quickly shift the focus to you who has been listening. Two quick ones. Number one, if you got value, don't be selfish. Tell a friend or tell a colleague to listen to Sofia and B2B SaaS CEOs. And thing number two, press the subscription button. We have great guests coming here every week. And Sofia, a huge thank you for putting aside around 30 minutes to get with me, to help me, but most importantly, the community to keep on learning.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It was great.